Good morning. Man, it's so good to see everyone here this morning. Before I get started today, um, I know Tim's already mentioned it, but next weekend, February the 24th, our teenagers are going to be cooking breakfast and serving it over in the fellowship hall. And this is for their parents and any of our adults. And I hope you guys will come up, come out and support this. This was not my idea. This was their idea. They really wanted to do this for y'all. So I really hope you guys will come out and, and support them in this totally free. They just want to be able to cook and, and serve you. So as you guys can see today... We are beginning a new series entitled Tough Topics, okay? And, and uh, really, to kind of kick off our lesson today, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have seen the movie Braveheart? Okay, wow. Okay, wasn't expecting that many people. That's awesome. So most of you are going to know what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about there was a guy in the movie by the name of... Uh, William Wallace, which is played by Mel Gibson. And in the movie, he befriends a guy by the name of Robert the Bruce. Are, are you guys with me? You, you remember that? And uh, Robert the Bruce really looked up to Wallace. Um, he was inspired by Wallace and, and what you know, he, was, he was able to do. But he didn't have the courage that Wallace had. Remember Robert the Bruce, he was the king of the Scots. And, and what uh, Wallace wanted him to do was to unite the Scottish clans so that they could overcome the English. And Robert the Bruce, he, he really wanted to do this. But he wasn't as courageous as Wallace was, not to mention he had a lot of corrupt people around him. In fact, they encouraged Robert the Bruce to betray Wallace on the battlefield. And so some of you remember that scene where it's Wallace against Robert the Bruce, but Wallace doesn't know, right? William Wallace doesn't know that it's Robert the Bruce because he's in full armor and he's wearing a helmet. And, and to make a long story short, Wallace gets the best of Robert the Bruce and he's getting ready to kill him, but he rips his helmet off and he realizes it's his friend. And do you remember that expression, that face, that William Wallace has when he discovers that his friend has betrayed him. He falls back on his knees as if, man, I just, I want to die. Because his friend, someone that he loved and cared about and trusted, had betrayed him. And, and I really believe that one of the reasons this scene is so powerful is because so many people can relate to it. I would dare say that probably just about everyone that's in here this morning has been in a relationship of, of some kind with someone that you loved and you trusted and yet they ended up wounding you and hurting you and betraying you in some way. Am I right? Most of us have been through that, and, and it sets us back. 
And, and so again, today, we're beginning a new series entitled Tough Topics. And I want to begin, I, w- I want to start off this series by talking about something that's not new. It's been around for a really long time, but it's a, a relatively new term that we've given it. Um, it's, it's called church hurt. And, and I don't know how many of you have experienced that here, or those of you who've been watching online have, have experienced this, but basically what church hurt is, is it's, it's just kind of an umbrella term used to describe a wide range of experiences in which someone was wounded, betrayed, or had their trust broken by someone within the church. There's a guy by the name of Jerome Gray Jr. Who, who, wrote a bo- uh, who wrote a book about this very thing, and he provides this definition. He said, church hurt refers to the pain that is inflicted by religious institutions and its people and or its leadership. Pain that distances sufferers from their communities and sometimes God. And, and so sometimes, and, and, and really one of the reasons why I wanted to do this series on tough topics is because sometimes there are things that we face, maybe as a new Christian or, or maybe, you know, you're, you're new to this, to, to this uh, church thing and, and you come in and you experience some things and you've got some questions and, and if those questions, those tough questions aren't answered, oftentimes what it can cause us to do is to leave the church and and maybe even tear apart our faith in God. And that can definitely happen and has happened to many people when it comes to church hurt. You know, maybe you were all excited about your newfound faith and, and you jumped in to serve somewhere within the church, but then as time went by, you know, maybe you you started feeling taken advantage of and maybe you started to get burnt out and and yet it just, it seemed like no one cared. Or or maybe there were times when you felt shamed or shunned or gossiped about when when you were going through something, something that you were struggling with and instead of having, you know, someone come alongside you and love and, and walk walk with you through what you were going through, you felt isolated by people. Or maybe you felt disillusioned and betrayed when some church scandal got exposed. A lot of people have gone through that. But as a result, you just kind of pushed away from people and kind of view every church or every leader or every minister through the lens of suspicion because of that past hurt. And I get it. I mean, it takes a lifetime. It takes years to build trust. And within just a few moments, all of that trust can be torn down, right? It can be torn apart. And, and when, when trust is broken, when trust has been torn apart, man, it can leave us absolutely crushed in spirit. And this is what the Bible says about that. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. The human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear a what church? A crushed spirit. It's hard to overcome. You know, we have several people within our congregation that have to deal 
with what's called an autoimmune disease. And what that is, is when the body's natural defense system can't tell the difference between normal, healthy cells and foreign cells. And and so what happens is the body begins to attack the normal, healthy cells. And I would say that church hurt is the spiritual autoimmune disease within the body of Christ. It's where the body of Christ begins to attack itself and we begin to see other Christians and other believers as enemies instead of family. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. He says, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But listen to what he says. Listen to the warning. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, he says, watch out. He says, beware of destroying one another. But you know, as a result of this very real hurt, what oftentimes happens, and if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write this down, what oftentimes happens is we end up reducing who God is to the worst actions of just a few people. Are you with me? Which leads some people to walk away from the church for good. It also causes people to walk away from God for good. In other words, oftentimes when people walk away, it's not theological, but but rather it deals with relationships with other people. When, When other relationships go south, oftentimes what that does is it causes us to push back. And at the very least, become cautious about entering another relationship with someone else. This past year, my mom and dad, they lost their dog. And so they went out and they went to the pound and they found another dog and they named it Biscuit and they adopted Biscuit. But here's the thing about Biscuit. Biscuit has been abused. And so what what has happened through all of this is Biscuit will not allow anyone to come near him except for my mom. Like not even my dad. And, And I don't know if that's because he was abused by a male figure, but he won't even let my dad really get close to him. He only, he only, you know, allows my mom to come near him. And and I've met a lot of people like that, people who have been hurt and people who have been abused by others. And so there's just this invisible wall. You know, we're we're just going to keep a distance from others. And I want you to know, while that is understandable, that is not what you were made for. You were made for so much more. You were made for community. We've talked about this passage before, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to what? To be alone. Notice that. It's not good for man to be alone. We were created for community. You and I, we need other people. But sometimes when we're other people, when we're with other people, that can get messy, right? 
Community can get messy to the point to where we end up hurt and oftentimes we're tempted to want to just walk away and give up on the church and, and give up on God altogether. And let me say this, this is nothing new. Church hurt is nothing new. The term, I think, is, is, is new. And I'm hearing more and more people use that term and talk about that term today. But it's nothing new. In fact, look with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is Paul, and he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. And this is what he says. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we were what? We have been treated at Philippi. Just before we came to you and how much we what? Suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to desire his good news, to declare his good news to you boldly. In spite of great what? Opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or, or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try and win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, as for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear friends, your dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witness, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Now here's the question. What in the world is going on in this passage? What is Paul talking about here? What, what's, the, what's the background you know, of, of everything that, that Paul is referring to here in this particular text? Well, really all of it's recorded in the book of Acts. It's where Paul and Silas had been mistreated. Do you realize that? Paul had experienced church hurt as well. But he had been mistreated. Paul, was, Paul and Silas were, were traveling on, on uh, what we like to refer to as missionary journeys. Remember, they would go into a city, they'd go into a community, and, and they would meet people, and they would lead those people to Jesus, and then they would uh, plant a church there. And, and once they got the church established there, and it was, it was stable, then they would move on to the next city, and they would do the same thing, spreading the gospel of Jesus. Well, when they arrive in the, the city of Philippi, which Paul makes reference to in our text, there was a demon-possessed girl, a servant who was possessed by demons. 
And Paul ends up healing her of that demon. He casts the demon out. And, and well, you would think that would be a good thing, right? But her masters didn't perceive it that way because this demon allowed her to be able to tell people their future and they were charging for it. They were making money on it. And now that Paul has cast this demon out, guess what? They're not making any money off of her anymore. And so they start a riot. They start, you know, talking bad about Paul and Silas. And it gets to the point to where they end up being thrown into prison but yet, as we find out later, he was a Roman citizen and it wasn't handled well, so they end up releasing Paul, and so he moves on to Thessalonica. And when he gets to Thessalonica, he's doing the same thing. He's, he's preaching and teaching about Jesus, and the people there, they were responding to it in a big way, and the religious leaders became so jealous of this and so threatened by this that they began to shout. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And it's like, man, what, what's going on here? What were these religious do, uh, leaders doing? Well, they were actually leveraging the hurt that some of the people there in Thessalonica had already experienced in that city. You see, in the, the Greco-Roman world, what was taking place at the time where there were these false teachers and these swindlers who would come into your community... And they would take advantage of your trust. Uh, they would, you know, pass off false ideas and, and, and it was all, you know, to, to take your money. And they would even end up sleeping with their women. And then after all of that, they would move on to another city, leaving all this wreckage and, and hurt behind. And so now these insecure religious leaders are basically pointing at Paul and his companion Silas and they're saying, these men are no different. They are false teachers and they are swindlers and they are here to take advantage of you. And so these religious leaders, they were taking advantage of the people's hurt. And they were hurting Paul and Silas in the process as well. But in this letter to the church at Thessalonica, basically what Paul is trying to do is some cleanup. Right? He, he starts talking about his, his motives and his methods and his mission. In other words, he says, here's the heart behind what we're trying to do. This is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And, and this is how we've been able to do it. And as you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, man, you really begin to see the heart of Paul. But he's been hurt, and the people there had been hurt. And when we've been hurt by others, there are a couple of things that we need to know. First of all, number one, and this is so important, because you and I, because we're broken, because we're flawed, because we are sinners, 
We're all susceptible to being hurt in our relationships, and we're all capable of hurting others. Now, that's important. That is so important. Let me ask you a question this morning, and I, I, need, I need you to help me out this morning. How many of you have been hurt by someone else? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. That's, that's just about everyone. Now, put your hands down, and let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever hurt someone else? You see what I'm saying? Because we are broken, sinful, flawed people, in our relationships there are going to be times when we're hurt by others, but there are also going to be times when we hurt others as well. Well, what do we do when that happens? You know, when, when, when we've been hurt, how can we heal from that? And, and how can we get to the point to where we can move on from that and, and continue to be who God wants us to be and continue to serve and do big things in God's kingdom? Well, let me give you a few suggestions this morning. First of all, we have to, we have to acknowledge how real it is. That is so important. You know, if you look at Matthew chapter 22, Jesus on this occasion was asked by an individual, what's the greatest command? We sang, we sang about it a, a few minutes ago. But he says, what's the greatest command? This was Jesus' response, verse 37. You must, what church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? He says, this is the first and the greatest command. Love God. And then he goes on to say, a second, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love people. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. Love God and love people, right? And Jesus says that we fulfill the entire law when we do those two things Perfectly, But here's the problem. I don't know of anyone who can do those two things perfectly. I know I can't. I can't love God perfectly and I can't love others perfectly. And so guess what? That introduces the possibility of hurt. And the only thing worse than denying our possible role in someone else's hurt is to diminish someone else's experience with hurt. In other words, when someone comes to us and they acknowledge, man, you've hurt me, listen, we can't sweep it under the rug. Right? We, we can't ignore it and, and act like it didn't happen. We, we can't get defensive because if we just tell people, hey, you just need to move on, you just need to get over it, then oftentimes what happens is things just get worse. In fact, counselors will tell you if there's been an offense, if there's been a hurt, you've got to do the necessary cleanup in order to heal from that and move on. You can't bypass the cleanup. It's kind of like if you drop a bottle of apple juice or you, you drop some soda on your, on your floor, you can't think to yourself, well, I'll just ignore it and it'll just go away, right? 
If you drop something like that, what happens? It becomes sticky. And as you walk over it, over time it collects dirt and it draws, you know, all kinds of ants and other things. And then, you know, after a time it starts to smell. And, and here's the thing, it's the same thing that can happen relationally as well. We can't overlook the hurt and the offense. We've got to do the necessary cleanup, which means that someone has to be hurt. And if a wrong has truly occurred, that needs to be addressed. But being heard and being understood and dealing with the injustice is very, very important. But just as important is this. We've got to seek forgiveness and if possible, reconciliation. Because those are necessary steps in cleanup towards healing. Now with all that said, let me say this, reconciliation with the person or the group that hurt you may not be possible. Right? Those people may not be in your life anymore. Those people may no longer be around anymore. It may be that the person that hurt you or the group that hurt you uh, they don't think that they've done anything wrong or they may not even realize that they've done anything wrong. And this is where forgiveness becomes not only important but absolutely critical in healing. In fact, write this down. Forgiving them is absolutely critical even if reconciliation is not. I think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, because this is such a powerful verse. The Hebrew writer says, Watch out that no what, church? Poisonous root of what? Bitterness grows up to what? To trouble you. In, in other words, the, the Scripture compares bitterness to a poison that ironically we take ourselves, right? Because we're, we're upset with someone. And, and at the time, man, it may feel you know, empowering, it may feel strong and right, but in reality, it's, it's enslaving and it's just it's poison. And speaking from experience... Whenever I've been hurt or offended or betrayed, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm fooled into thinking that the only card left I've got to play is anger or bitterness or, or thoughts of revenge. In other words, I'm going to hold on to this wrong that's been done to me so that somehow I can make them pay later. But guess who it is that ends up paying? Me. Right? Because bitterness and holding on to anger and revenge, it's, it's just poison for you. It's, it's like you guys have heard me say, it's, it's like filling up a bucket with acid and you're planning on dumping it on the person that hurts you, but the whole time you're holding it, that acid has eaten through that bucket and it's just dripping on you, eating away at you. Think about Romans chapter 12, verse 18, where Paul says, if it's possible, 
And, and here's the deal. It, it may not be possible for reconciliation. But if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. And, and again, I, I think the, the purpose behind that is because bitterness and anger can be enslaving. And oftentimes what we want to do is we want to enslave others for the hurt that they've caused us, but, but the ones who are holding on to those things, we're the ones looking through the bars, right? We're the ones that are enslaved. And so we need to let it go. We need to... We need to forgive because here's the deal. We can't heal until we're set free. And the only way we can be set free is to, is to forgive. You know, preachers experience church hurt as well. I've experienced church hurt. It's probably a little bit different in many ways from, from the hurt that you guys may have experienced. And, and this, listen to me this morning before I go any further, um, I haven't experienced church hurt in, in a long time, so I don't want you to think that what I'm pouring out on you this morning is for you to say, oh, poor pitiful slate, he's, you know, he's, he's going through this. And l listen, that, that's not the, the purpose of what I'm about to tell you, but I just want you to know that I've experienced it too. There have been times when, you know, after I got done preaching, I would walk out and, and someone was just very ugly about my lesson. I, I think I've told you guys before, years ago when I I first started preaching every Sunday, there was a lady who would walk out and she would tell me, that's the worst lesson I have ever heard in my life. And it's funny now, man. I laugh about it. Julie and I both laugh about it. But back then, it wasn't funny. It, it hurt. And, and there have been times, you know, where I have poured into people. I have invested a lot of time into people only to have them leave and even take jabs at, at me on the way out. And so there have been times when I've been depressed and I've been discouraged and, and there have even been times when I've wanted to get out of ministry because here's the deal, and some of you may be able to relate to this, I felt like the whole church was against me. But in reality, and this is where my wife comes in, in reality, and Julie always reminds me of this, Slate, it's just a few. Right, but, but because of my experience, because of my hurt, you know, that, that pain and that hurt got expanded. It, it blew up in my mind. And, and it wasn't the church that hurt me. It was just a few misguided people within the church that it hurt me. And that's a huge difference. And so we have to acknowledge that it's real and we need to seek forgiveness even if the other party doesn't deserve it or even want our forgiveness so that we can be healed. Now, let me, let me kind of shift gears just for a moment. We've got to acknowledge what church hurt is not. Okay, and I, I want to I mention this very briefly. Uh, first of all, church hurt is not a disagreement. Okay, just because the church doesn't make the decision that you like or agree with, listen, that's, that's not church hurt. Now, if it's done in a disagreeable or hurtful way or with a bad attitude, yes. But just because someone disagrees with you 
which will happen. Um, that's not church hurt. Second of all, being confronted is not church hurt. In fact, that's very biblical, right? Galatians chapter 6 verse 1, remember what Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome in sin, you who are godly should what? Gently and humbly help that person back on the right path. Now there's an attitude in which it's to be done with gentleness and humility, with a loving spirit. But as Christians, we're called to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and help them if they're starting to, to fall away, help them back on the right path. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've, I've had someone, and, and usually it's my wife, who comes alongside me and says, Slate, you're out of line here. You know, you're, you're not living like Jesus here. And, and that hurts, but here's the deal. I wasn't harmed by it. In, in fact, it was for my own good. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, Solomon writes, Wounds from a friend can be what? Can be trusted. Um, typically, when I go somewhere to speak, Julie will go along with me. And there have been times, man, when we pulled up to the congregation that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach at, and Julie reaches in her purse, and she says, here, you need a mint. And it's like, ouch. But thank you, right? Because I don't want to wound somebody else with, with my bad breath. But, but that hurts, right? But, but thank you. I mean, I, I needed to, to hear that. And so she's like, you know, here's, here's a mint, and that's a wound from a friend. Here's, here's something else that church hurt is not. Church hurt is not someone telling you no. Okay, maybe you've got a great idea or maybe you've got a new program that you want to you wanna try out here at the church and, and you're, you're told no. You know, maybe, maybe we don't have enough people to, to make that happen or, or maybe, you know, um, maybe you saw it at, at a large congregation. You think, man, this would be great at our congregation. But here's the deal. Just because you see something at, at another congregation doesn't mean that it will work here. And so maybe you were told no, but that's not church hurt. There are going to be times when, when someone say, no, we, we, can't, we can't do that. And maybe you got offended by that. And then here's one other, and I didn't put this up on the screen, but, but I, I feel like I, it's important to be said, um, but also it's going to lead me into another point, and it's this. When the preacher doesn't know everything going on in your life and the life of your family, that's not church hurt. Now, I, I'm telling you that because several years ago when I lived in Alabama, there was a gentleman and his wife who had attend, attended the congregation where I was preaching at, and they stopped coming. And so I gave them a call, and I was like, hey, just want to call and check on you guys. Um, I noticed you guys haven't come the last couple of weeks. And I said, is any, you know, is everything okay? You know, is anything bothering you? And he says, well, we're, we're attending another congregation now. And I was like, oh, really? I said, well, can you tell me why? And he said, yeah. He said, you didn't come to my brother's funeral. And I was like, oh, I am so sorry. I said, I didn't even know you had a brother. 
And I said, did, did you tell me about his funeral? Did, did you call me and, and let me know? He said, no, I, I didn't. He said, but it was in the obituary. And I said, well, I don't, I don't read the obituary. In fact, I don't, I don't even get the paper. And it didn't matter what I said. It wasn't enough. And the reason for that is because we are oftentimes so easily offended. Listen, offense is the bait of Satan. You see, we have an enemy who wants us to be offended and he wants us to stay offended so that we will miss out on a lot of the opportunities that God is calling us to as, as Christians. But first of all, We've got to recognize, and this is so important, who the real enemy is. Paul does a great job of talking about this, and I'm almost done. Y'all stay with me. Ephesians 6, verse 12, he says, For we are not fighting against who, church? Against flesh and blood enemies, but against, in, against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realm. In other words, there is an enemy, but it's not a flesh and blood enemy. It's a spiritual enemy, and he is working behind the scenes to tear us apart as a church and to keep us apart. And, and if you don't know that, if you don't understand that, when someone hurts you, then you may perceive them, even though they may be a brother or sister in Christ, you may perceive that they are the enemy. And they're not. We're family. And we can't let our spiritual enemy divide us. You know, I think back to 2020, the whole COVID pandemic, and some of you are like, man, yeah, don't even bring that up. Don't want to talk about that anymore. But, but I have to bring it up because I, I really feel like it's important because, you know, we had this pandemic that, that hit all over the world, right? And there were so many Christians who turned on each other. And I'm not talking about just here at Central. I'm talking about all over the world. They turned against each other over secondary issues that weren't even important. And during a time where we could have had a huge, I mean a, a huge impact on the world, I think in many ways, as God's people, we, we dropped the ball. Because we made things that weren't important most important. And again, I believe that's all a part of our spiritual enemy. But then also we have to recognize the real Savior. Listen, so much hurt takes place in our lives when we put flawed human beings on a pedestal where they should never be. Think about Jesus. For three years he spent... You know, he, he spent that time with 12 guys and, and he's trying to um, teach them and model for them uh, servant leadership. But on the final exam, they all flunked, right? 
I mean, oftentimes we, we want to talk about Peter and we want to talk about Judas, but, but really they all failed. They all betrayed Jesus. Mark chapter 14 verse 15 says, Then all his disciples deserted him and they ran away. Right? And, and, and i got to tell you, if I'm Jesus and I experience that kind of hurt from my best friends, I would be like, guys, we're going to have to do another three-year tour. Because you guys evidently just don't get it. But he didn't. He died on the cross. And then he rose from the grave. And then he ascended back into heaven and basically Jesus left the church in the hands of proven, flawed human beings. And it's been that way ever since. Listen, as we read through the Scripture, we see God using flawed, broken, sinful people. And that ought to bring us hope because that means He can use us too. But that also means that we shouldn't worship the person God uses, but rather we should should worship the God of the person. That's why the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 12 that our eyes are to be fixed upon Jesus. Right? Listen to me this morning as I close out. I don't want any of you coming to this church because of me or anyone else for that matter. I want you coming because your eyes are fixed upon Jesus. And and I'm telling you, when when we keep our gaze there, and we we keep our gaze off of ourselves, and and let me just use this as an illustration, and and then I'm done. You know, I I can get 10 positive comments at the beginning of the week and have one person go out and give me one critical comment, but which one of those do you think that I remember for the rest of the week? The negative, the, the critical, right? And so I have to take a deep breath sometimes and I just have to say, God, it doesn't matter how things go today, how well the sermon goes, how well the Bible class goes. Let me encourage people and give them hope and point them to you. And here's the deal. The minute I shift my mindset off of me and onto other people and God, listen, I want to be here. I want to worship God. And this doesn't drain me at all. But it's important to keep our gaze, our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because He's the one who's always faithful. He's the one who will never fail you. And so give Him your heart and your worship and your praise and your life. We're going to talk about some other topics that oftentimes, and and the reason I'm doing this again is because we have a a lot of new Christians, a lot of new individuals, and and if we don't wrestle with some of these things now, we're going to be talking about some topics, especially in our generation, that are causing people to walk away from the church and causing them to walk away from God. 
And so these are some of the things we're going to be, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be wrestling with, and hopefully at the end of this series, your faith is, become, is going to become more solid than ever. But it starts with keeping your eyes focused on Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being such an amazing, faithful, loving God. Father, we know that we're all imperfect and we all make mistakes. Help us not to, to put anyone else on a, on a pedestal, but to make you, uh, to make you the, the number one person in, in our life. Our, our God and, and our Savior, the one who loves us so much that you died for us. And Father, if there is someone uh, who's watching online today, hasn't been to, to services in a long time, or there's someone here today um, who's been through and experienced church hurt, Father, I just pray that you'll bring healing into that situation. And Father, just pray that you will help them to once again engage in the beauty of your church, being with your people. It's, it's just it's an amazing blessing. And we thank you for that. But Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. If there's someone this morning who needs to respond to the invitation, whether it's to put on Christ in baptism, having your sins washed away, Acts 2, verse 38, or, or maybe there's something you need prayers for, prayers for strength, or, or maybe it's more of a private matter that you need prayers for, you can leave it on the cross this morning as well. We'll pray over those things. But you have a need, you can come as together we stand and sing.